I'm not going to read from the Bible. And then Well, hi guys, if you don't know me, my name is Bethany, and I'm a first year art and math as I do. Uh, today's Bible reading is from the book of Mark, and you can follow along in the And the leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make him clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, and touched him, and said to him, I will, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer all your cleansing, what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. <coughs> and he went and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was <coughs> preaching the word of them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof before him. And when they made, had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes are sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they must question within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the sins of man has authority on earth, the Son of Man, pardon me, has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphys, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Welcome to week 13. Good that you're here. Well done for making it to Uni Bible Talks on week 13. That's great. Um, why don't I pray? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your mercy, new each day. We pray for your unending grace now, that it might reveal to us the truth of your word. Father, 
rebuke us, correct us, and train us, and teach us in righteousness, so that we might know Jesus and follow In his name we pray. Amen. Have a light. Hello. <laughs> um, uh, 1990. Did you know? 1990. Who was born in 1990 or after? <laughs> <laughs> All of you, apart from Rob and Richard, <laughs> and James Jones, and, and James Jones, <laughs> and, and, and maybe me as well. I love that movie. I look forward to watching it every Christmas. And I'm sorry if you don't. For me, it was an absolute classic when it first came out. And for me, it hasn't lost its appeal. Little Kevin left hopelessly unprotected from the dithering water bandits. A lot of fun, a lot of excitement, a lot of drama. And how after all the action is over, the mother finally comes home. But you know what really tugs at the heartstrings for me in that movie? It's about subplot about the old guy, old man Marley, who's there. He's really the one in the show who is home alone. Why? Well, a lot of the kids think he's a murderer. They think that he's murdered his family because they never see any of his family because they just never come. And in the movie, he's very much the outcast, if you've watched it. He's the one everyone steers well clear of. Now, in a chance meeting at a church one night, Kevin and Marley properly meet, and he's there to hear his daughter sing. Her granddaughter sing, shall I say. And Marley tells him his story. The reality is that his life is badly scarred by broken relationships. He said stuff to his son many years ago, and uh, his son said stuff to him, and they both get very angry, and now they don't talk. He keeps to himself, and that's why he lives this hermit life. Why don't you give him a call, says Kevin. It's not as easy as that, says Mark. Well, it is, he says. <laughs> the end of the movie is wonderful, isn't it? You've seen it. On Christmas morning, Kevin comes downstairs and there's, um, he waits for his mum, he sees for his mum, his family comes to the door and everyone's happy. But right at the end, right at the end of the movie, he notices activity outside the window, and he goes over to have a look, and there is old man Marley with his son, his son's wife, and his granddaughter, uh, that he was never allowed to meet before, <coughs> and they embrace. That, for me, is the tearjerker in the movie. Uh, when someone says, sorry, uh, and the other party is willing to reconcile, and once again enjoy that relationship, that's it for me. And, of course, the John Williams soundtrack. Goes along with it too. <laughs> Broken relationships are so painful, so soul destroying, so life upending, not just for the parties directly involved, but for all the other relationships around them. And of course, we live in a world of broken relationships. You just have to turn on the news to see that aloneness, of enmity. But of course, when there's peace, when there's a restored relationship, well, that's really worth rejoicing in, isn't it? That's really worth the tears, which I cry every time I see the end of Home Alone. <laughs> Today, in our passage, there are three stories. And as we shall see, there are, there are more than just miracles. 
They are pointing towards something much deeper than merely healing. There's a healing of a different sort. A time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's where Mark kicked us off, isn't it? Do you remember? That's where he began telling us about this Jesus, the king, who has come to rule. That's the gospel. And last week, if you were here, the king's priority was to preach. Do you remember? <coughs> preach this gospel. That's how this kingdom is going to come. Not in the miracles, not in the shows of power. It's right there in his preaching. This kingdom is tied up with the authority of the preaching of the kingdom of God. Now here's something for you to consider. If Mark starts that way, if Mark starts with Jesus saying the priority of the preaching, um, in the, or the kingdom preaching is, is, is his priority, that's what he's come for, what might you have expected Mark to write next if Jesus' priority is to preach? Is there anything surprising about what he includes next? Go on, one minute on your tables, okay? Just one minute on your tables. If that's his priority, his priority is to preach the kingdom, what might you have expected Mark to write next? Is there anything surprising? Horrific. Um, you, it's, it's really like a death sentence. 
Um, leprosy was a bacteria, and you're left to rot, basically. There's an airborne disease, uh, uh, according to what I read on Dr. Dr. Google. And so it's no surprise if you touched it with someone with it, you would become unclean. And that sort of spelled out in Leviticus chapter 13. Again, you can go and check later. It reminds me a bit of the 1980s when AIDS, the AIDS epidemic, came in North America. And I remember I remember reading about it on the news, and there was all these rumours circulating that if you if you got near to someone with AIDS, that it was transferable and, and that would be your death sentence. No, no one went near people with AIDS, you see. But you see, there's none of that here. In verse 41, we're told, Jesus was moved with pity. Moved by this man's plight, and he is willing, he is willing to make even the foulest clean. He stretches out his hand, and there is complete healing. No longer the death sentence. In verse 12, we see Jesus' authority again. So we see Jesus' authority, but we see his willingness in that first miracle. But we, here we see Jesus' authority on you. Chapter 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. As usual, there it is. He goes home and he preaches the word. Verse 3, and they came to him, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their bed, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And you may be thinking, what? Or they may be thinking, what? Uh, sins forgiven? What about legs working? <laughs> Any good story has many surprises, but perhaps this isn't the kind of surprise they wanted. I wanted oranges. I asked for oranges. I was expecting oranges, but you gave me... Apples. Pineapples. Man, well, you weren't expecting that either, were you? <laughs> <laughs> um, now, of course, like in the healing of the leper, only God had the authority to do that. Only God had the authority to forgive sins. See, in the Jewish mindset in the Old Testament, when a sinner sins, they sin against God alone. Psalm 51, if you alone have God who I've sinned. And even though that's David speaking about uh, murdering Uzziah and, and having adultery with his wife. And so in one sense, the scribes were quite right to sort of be a bit alarmed, weren't they, in verse 6? Take a look. And some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Doesn't look like an unreasonable question. But the word for questioning there has a sense of strong doubt. It seems to suggest they're absolutely scandalised that Jesus is taking the Lord's name for himself. Um, Prince Charles, <laughs> um, um, ten, 10 years ago, 12 years ago now, he was on a ski trip with his two two sons, and he was sitting there, and the cameras were some way back, and they were taking photos of him. And I won't say the first word, something, people. Uh, I can't bear that man. He's talking about one particular journalist. I mean, he's so awful, he really is. Of course, he mutters to himself. But because of the microphones are on, it picked up. And, of course, the whole thing was made in the press. 
Um, <laughs> these guys are not even muttering to themselves about Jesus, but Jesus still picks up on what they said. Jesus doesn't hold back. Verse 10. Then you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. You know the rest of the story. He picks up his mat. He goes home. And of course everyone is astounded again. Verse 4. See, the miracle is pointing towards Jesus' authority as God to forgive sins. The very thing that the scribes doubted, the very things that the scribes uh, didn't believe, he shows who he really is. And Jesus starts using this term, the Son of Man. And he's going to go by that term to describe himself now in the book of Mark. And whilst the Son of Man can just mean human, it's actually more than that. And I won't say more than that, because at NYC, you will find out more than that <laughs> when you register, of course. But let's just say for now, it's got something to do with his enormous authority. So we've got Jesus' willingness to even heal, cleanse, and outcast. We've got Jesus' power and authority to forgive sinners. What's the connection, though? What's the connection between the two miracles, do you think? Take one minute just to discuss that. two miracles, two more miracles. What's going on? Quite the key that unlocks the door, Jesus gives the reason for all that has been going on so far um, in this passage. Jesus' reason in 2, 13 to 17. Take a look. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Last week we saw Jesus said, uh, Follow me. They were the sort of most unexpected kind of kingdom fishermen, weren't they? Do you remember? But this week he's gone one step further. Tax collectors, sinners. They were despised. And no wonder the Pharisees object. What 
are you doing? As we saw last week, Jesus' final words actually sheds light on what he's doing. Verse 17, And when Jesus heard, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And whatever the disciples thought about the kingdom of God, whatever the thought religious believers thought about the kingdom of God, Jesus says the people I've come to call into the kingdom are those who understand they need a doctor. They understand that their sin is the problem, and they understand that they need help. And that's what's really going on in the miracles. See, Jesus is both um, is dealing with both the problems, dealing with uncleanness, and dealing with sin. And what makes the leper story so poignant, you see, is that lepers were those who were really on the outside of society. I tried to find an illustration about people on the outside of society or loneliness. Um, in, in our society and how lonely we are and Jeanette gave us something on Friday at the start um, from a Sydney Morning Herald article that she'd seen that you know, um, maybe 25% of us 10 years ago or 50 years ago were living alone and now uh, sorry, 10% of us were living alone 50 years ago but now 25% are um, or perhaps on average we used to have three really close friends to talk about things that really matter but now we've gone to none but actually, I couldn't actually find an illustration more real than leprosy. You lived a miserable, lonely, painful life, and you died a lonely, painful death. They were excluded from life. They couldn't come near God's people. They were left alone to rot, literally. And because they couldn't come near God's people, they were excluded from relationships with family, with friends, and most importantly, with God. They couldn't come near the temple where God was to worship. He couldn't, couldn't come near. And it was terrible. They were totally alone. And it was a shocking state to be. And that shocking state is really a picture of what sin does to Jews connected sin with leprosy. Go and check out Numbers 12 and 2 Chronicles 26 later. And it's like leprosy. Sin brings that isolation. It results in broken relationship with God who owns us. It puts us on the outside of his family, of his kingdom. It puts us under his judgment. And that's you and I. We are sick. We are by nature unclean. We may not have leprosy, but we are by nature outcasts before God. We desperately need to have someone to deal with the problem of sin. And this passage reveals really what is at the heart of our king. Our second point today. Because this come, this king comes for those who understand. They need. 
And to understand the need, you need to acknowledge the seed, which unfortunately is something we're not very good at. Obviously, in our story, the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes, were not to prepare to think of themselves as sinners, were they? They followed their laws, they did what was right, and they thought of themselves as righteous. They don't need a doctor. But of course, it's not just them. When we go out during Jesus Week's next semester, and when we let people know what Jesus says and what Jesus does, we let them know that they're sick, most of the population, population out there will think of themselves in exactly the same way as the Pharisees did. We're not sick. I'm a good person. And when it comes to telling people that they're deserving of punishment, it's no wonder that they'll say, you are the sick one. You belong in the asylum. I remember my family saying that to me. You're sick for saying something like that. Right from the beginning, we have become experts at hiding our evil, justifying our evil, feigning that we're really good, and it's just always someone else's fault. The biggest cover-up, of course, is when we don't want to admit our offence against God, when we won't let God be God over us. He doesn't exist. You can't be sure about him. But before you go condemning the outside world, and before you go condemning the Pharisees, we Christians, we do it too. In fact, I think we might even be worse. We try to justify our sin in God's name. For example, what does the Bible say about idolatry? It's evil. It's deserving of punishment. It's against God. It's not putting God first. And yet, I think sometimes we tremendous idolaters that don't admit the problem. Oh, I need to do well in my studies so that I can glorify God. I need to get to the top of my company to be a good Christian witness as the boss, my friend used to say. God desires excellence, doesn't he? More about excellence next year's at team, if you're interested. But most of the time, it's just a cover-up for our self-seeking idolatry. You know what God says about sexual purity, don't you? And marrying unbelievers. Oh, we love each other so much, and there's no other Christian guys or girls around. And you know what God says about gossip or slander. I was only joking. Well, there's never a truer word said in jest. And the list goes on. We've got an excuse for everything, to cover them all. Anything but admit the problem. But of course, Jesus comes to call those who know they need a doctor. And when you do admit the problem, when you do understand the depth of evil in your heart, you know you're in desperate trouble. And there's nothing you can do about it. And that's when you need the help. That's when you come to Jesus for forgiveness from him. And the wonderful news of Jesus in this story is that he has come to forgive you. He wants to forgive you. He's willing, remember? He's powerful to forgive you. He's got the authority. And that's what's so wonderful about the leper story, isn't it? I think the leper story is one of the most favourite verses at the moment in the Bible for me. When Jesus sees the helpless state of the outcast, his heart is moved with pity, with compassion. When he comes to Jesus and says, please, if you are willing, make me clean. 
And with compassion, he restores him miraculously. And that's why the priest should know. Because the priest should know whether Jesus, uh, whether Je how this man has become clean. They, how, what's happened to him. You see, the priests were the ones that, that could pronounce him clean. He then could restore back into fellowship with others. And he could restore back into fellowship with God. And that's how God views us too. He wants us to forgive. He wants to forgive and he wants to restore. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is when the offended party chooses not to take vengeance against the offender. And it means God doesn't take action against our sin. Your sin and my sin. To be forgiven, of course, is not your choice if you're the offender. To be forgiven, the offended party has to somehow absorb or take the offence of the offender in himself. Deal with it himself if they're not to hold it against you. And how does God do that when he's been so offended by a rejection of him? Many other religions, when you uh, dig deeper, um, offer some form of forgiveness to the worshipper. But they won't be able to explain how or why. And mostly you need to earn it. But Christianity does explain. It explains clearly that God can forgive us because he pays for the offence himself. As Jesus dies on the cross, it's as if God is saying, I will not take vengeance on you. I forgive you. My son has paid the price for your offence. Your account is clear. Relationship is back on. And I think that's what you see in the passage, actually. Jesus eats with sinners. You see, reclining and sharing food together was in some way was another way of expressing sort of fellowship, table fellowship, table relationship, a sharing in relationship. He desires that we fellowship with him. Here I am, says Jesus. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. He says that to Christians in Revelation chapter 3. God wants to have fellowship. Jesus wants to have fellowship. He wants us to share in life with him. And perhaps if sin has got in the way of your fellowship with God, perhaps you worship those idols that you shouldn't have. Perhaps you've sinned, you, 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 perhaps your sin has slammed the door in his face. See, God will forgive you. He has the authority to forgive you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to fellowship with you when we admit our sin and our need for his forgiveness. The Christian life is not easy. Uh, you discover sin left and right and centre, but it's full of joy because we know God is with us. He's willing to forgive us. He's in us. I, I was reminded as I thought about that, um, of Emu Music's uh, fourth last verse of Never Alone. Anyone know that song? Never alone now is our cry. In joy, in grief, in lonely sin. Never alone for Christ is ours. He lives in us and we live in him. Until we reach that final day when fears are gone, cast far away, we'll live secure, trust in his love. Never alone. Christ is with us. He's with us. And that's the life we hold out 
to a lonely and broken world. This is the security and joy in the fellowship that Christians enjoy and the life we hope others might enjoy too, don't we? And it's something our world and we most definitely need. Let's pray. Father, we can only thank you and praise you for your mercy. Praise you for your grace and the forgiveness that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that it's not earned. Uh, thank you that Jesus paid the price on the cross for our sin. Thank you that we can have fellowship where we do not deserve it. A sharing in your very being and a sharing in the life to come. Keep us from sin as we walk this path. Keep us from doing what is evil always being willing to confess our sins to you as you are willing to hear us and forgive us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I'm Emily and I'm going to keep reading this in prayer. And prayer is talking to God. <coughs> so let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this past semester, and we thank you that through Rob, Richard and James, we've been able to learn more about you. And Father, we thank you for this group, that we've been able to meet up and encourage each other to live with you. We pray that you'll be with us as we go through the process of changing our name to Unified Group. We ask that this change will help us to tell people about Jesus more clearly. We also thank you for NYC. Thank you that heaps of people have already signed up and the team's Please be with the people who are organising this week away, and we pray that you'll be glorified through it. We also pray for other Christian uni groups around Australia who are organising similar conferences, in particular today for James Cook Uni. Please be with them as they look at the topic of identity and then at their media conference. We ask that you'll give wisdom and energy to their speaker and everyone organising the event. Finally, Lord, we ask that you'll be with us over the next few weeks through exams and assessments. And I pray that everything we do will be for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.